to thank the boys and girls. What a great job, a very biblical uh, presentation of God's great message of salvation. And uh, we want to thank all the teachers and leaders and all the bus drivers who've made possible such a a great ministry. And, uh, you know, the theme that we've been working with this Advent season is let's celebrate Jesus. And the question that we have for you this morning on the Sunday when we light the candle of joy is how do we celebrate Jesus in the tough times? How do we celebrate Jesus when things aren't going so well? For example, uh, how do you celebrate Jesus during Advent if uh, you've lost a loved one to death and the holidays become very painful for you? How do you celebrate in the midst of uh, maybe loss of job or economic security? How do we celebrate in the midst of a broken relationship, marriage strife, or family struggles? And how do we celebrate when we're lonely and we really don't have anyone to celebrate with? And those are tough questions. Uh, one time I was in a meeting at one of our local hospitals, and uh, the chaplain was called on to pray, and it was during the Advent season, and the chaplain prayed this way. The chaplain said, God, we're decking the halls around here. We're decking the halls with coughs and sneezes and pain. And that was the truth, because in that setting, that's what you deck the halls with while uh, the world seems to be celebrating, and that kind of adds to our sense of isolation. I heard Bill Hybels uh, say once in a sermon that the Christmas holidays are intensifiers. That is, the holidays have a way of making the highs higher and the lows lower. It's true, isn't it? Uh, It intensifies both the joy and the pain for many of us. I was thinking um, recently, I I journaled uh, in one 24-hour period of time. This is what I dealt with as a pastor in a fairly normal week. Um, Someone told me, we're waiting on the doctor's phone call about the medical tests. And that same week, uh, I was uh, with a young couple in the labor and delivery room as they were awaiting the birth of a child. In that, in that same day, rather. And in that same 24-hour period of time, uh, I was on the phone with someone who said, I'm waiting news from a potential employer. Did I get the job? And then the fourth instance in that 24-hour cycle was talking to a, a mother and a father, uh, agonizing over whether their daughter would come back to faith or not, come back into uh, a healthy relationship with the Lord. See, all four of them waiting on the biopsy report, uh, waiting on the uh, baby to be born, waiting on the job verdict, waiting on the uh, struggle and anticipation of all of their dilemmas, they all had the same thing in common. They were in pain and they were waiting. They were in pain and they were waiting. So how do we celebrate Jesus in the tough times. The prophet Isaiah had uh, a lot of helpful things to say, and and, uh, before I I read his testimony about how to celebrate God and God's presence in the tough times, uh, I want to set the stage. Isaiah lived 700 years before Christ, and you wouldn't think he'd have anything to say about how to celebrate during the Advent season, but he does, because he was waiting for Jesus too. he, he lived 700 years before Christ was born, and he lived in a time uh, where the nation Judah was being 
picked on, beaten up, and uh, ganged up on. Have you ever had that experience where you feel like you're being picked on, where you feel like you're being ganged up on, where you feel like you're being mistreated? And Isaiah knew that what Judah needed was a, a shot of courage and a shot of strength. You ever feel like that's what you need in your life too? A, a shot of adrenaline, of courage and strength? Because you just feel like the whole world sort of ganged up on you? And the controlling image that we're going to hear in the scripture that I'm going to read in just a moment, the controlling image is the image of desert. Because there's something about the image of barren wasteland that is a working metaphor for what it means to celebrate Jesus even in the tough times. The desert was uh, very forbidding and very harsh. It was very lonely. It was very dry. It was uh, apparently without life, without vegetation, without hope, just sort, of, just sort of a blah. And that's a great image for uh, Advent in the tough times. And one of the things I want us to see when we look at the Scripture is Isaiah at least acknowledge the grief. And that's the first thing you have to do if you're going to survive the Advent season in a tough time, and that is to acknowledge the pain, to acknowledge that this is tough, and to identify why it's tough. To just, to just name it and call it out. Uh, there is a Jewish proverb that says, what soap is to the body, tears are to the soul. What soap is to the body, tears are to the soul. That is that we need that washing, we need that cleansing, we need to cry, we need to be able to grieve. And so joy and grief are not mutually exclusive. Joy and grief are not mutually exclusive. You can have joy in the midst of grief and you can have grief in the midst of joy. And that's what Isaiah is talking about. And someone has pointed out, that the desert appears to be lifeless, but biologists and other experts will tell you that a desert is anything but lifeless. If you look carefully, a desert is a source of life and activity and growth, but you have to be willing and able to look at it. So with that background, I want to read to you what Isaiah says about the desert and about hope, and about God working in the midst of it in the tough and lonely times. Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and shall rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong and do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water, and the haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. 
the grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up to it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed of the Lord shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. And everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That's Isaiah's promise that in the midst of the lean times and the mean times and the barren times, God is working if we're watching. Now there's a second witness to how to survive the Advent season in the tough times. And that witness after Isaiah is the witness of Mary, the mother of Jesus. I want you to get the picture. Mary is uh, a teenager. In, in biblical days, women married as early as possible because life expectancy was short and children needed to be born to produce and, and, uh, and do the work for families to survive. And she was a teenager, a pregnant teenage girl, unmarried. Get the picture. That makes the messiness of this situation that much more amazing, and it makes what she says about hope and confidence in God in a despairing time even that much more amazing. And I want us to listen to Luke, the first chapter, beginning in verse 46, and I want you to notice how Mary is focusing not on her problems, not on her crisis, but focusing on what God has done and will do. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Now, Mary did not focus on her littleness. Now, she acknowledged her lowliness, but she didn't spend all of her time focused on her lack and her littleness. She focused, rather, on the greatness of God. In fact, the very first word out of her lips in the Latin Bible, which was the only Bible that people had for generations and generations many years ago, in Latin, the very first words out of her mouth, the very first word was magnificat. In Latin, that means magnify, as in magnifying the Lord. Her soul does that. That's why we call that passage of Scripture the Magnificat, because she is making God large rather than making her problems everything. Now, let's get honest. If we're honest, we would admit that we waste a lot of our pain and we waste a lot of our suffering and struggle. You understand what I mean by that? We don't learn from our pain and struggle 
as we could, and we do not grow from our struggle and pain as we could. We waste that pain and that struggle. We focus on what God has taken away rather than what remains. We focus on the things that we don't have anymore rather than focusing on the things that we still have. We grow bitter. We grow resentful. We obsess about the things we cannot control rather than focusing on the things that we can control. And one of the things that we can control is our response to suffering, our response to struggle. And like Mary, to, take, to make that response one of openness, to see what God can teach us and to see what God can do. And what Mary learned was that God is merciful, verse 50. God is merciful. And verse 51, God is strong. Do you get that? That's all we need. God cares, and God can do something about it. It wouldn't be enough to have just one of those. If God cared but couldn't help, or if God didn't care and was awesome in power, only one won't work. She said he's merciful, and his arm is strong. I'm going to date myself with this next uh, quote Uh, because there are certain people uh, of a certain age who will remember this comedy team, a husband and wife duo, uh, George Burns and Gracie Allen. Now, George was the straight man, and Gracie was the, his wife was the comedian, and she was a little bit dense. She was not the brightest light bulb in the room. She sometimes didn't get the obvious, but underneath that supposed dullness was a a very uh, discerning wisdom. And Gracie Allen once said, Never place a period where God has placed a comma. Pretty profound, isn't it? In your life, never place a period where God has placed a comma. What we think is the end of life, what we think is the end of all hope, is for God in the larger picture a comma. And that's what Mary saw and understood. That's the part that she was was rejoicing in, that God had not placed a period, but a comma. Sometimes that's so hard for us to remember. In the case of Isaiah's prophecy to ancient Judah, they needed to learn joy. To the nation, Isaiah said, your your security is not in your military might, your political cunning. Your security is in God. And to Mary, the message comes, your confidence is not in what other people think of you. Your happiness, Mary, is not making uh, the ten most uh, attractive people of uh, People Magazine, Palestinian edition. Mary, your confidence is in God, not in what humans say. And you know, to young people here this morning, I would remind you, your, your security and strength in life is not in popularity and what other people think of you. Your security is in Jesus Christ. 
And to adults here this morning, I would remind us our security is not in our retirement fund or even in our physical health. Our security is in Jesus Christ. That's where we find hope and security. That's what sustains us. A French Jesuit priest named Tillard de Chardin once made this observation. He said, Joy is the most infallible proof in the universe that God exists. He said, Joy is the most infallible proof in the universe that God exists. When God's people can be joyful, even in the midst of pain and struggle and suffering. And so I want to ask you this morning, why won't you let God help you with your struggle? Why won't you roll your burden off on Him? Why won't you let Him put it in perspective? Why carry it yourself when Jesus Christ has come to show us that God has a bigger plan than our present struggle. Trust Him and experience that joy that is that connection to Him. Let's bow our heads together.